Welcome in, everybody, to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Pew, 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 pew. Mally J is back from her staycation in... Uh, <laughs> I was camping. You are camping? In- I, I became part of the woods for a week. Yeah, you're you're pretty like you came back like with this new environmental aspect. <laughs> I saw so many different kinds of animals camping this trip. It was like nature just wanted me to see all the wonder. It was beautiful. We saw turtles, they laid eggs, beavers, eagles. It's all really gnarly toad too. Gnarly toad? Yeah. You Is that know a species? No, but it was just <laughs> a quality that this particular toad had was just all like Knobbly and Ooh. like you know, just kind of looks haunted. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like a, a cursed toad. <laughs> Fair enough. Wasn't that weird that you saw turtles laying eggs and I saw turtles laying eggs? That's so cool. In the same weekend, it feels like a gift from from nature. I've never it's, seen turtles lay eggs. Me neither. And well, it must be that we were both out there at the exact right time. Yeah, yeah. Special. So we're getting, check we're out my blessed. Instagram handle. Oh, that's a different Instagram handle. That's your private one? It's a, yeah, it's a kind of like a <laughs> okay, wildlife, <never> <laughs> wildlife one, not like necessarily a real estate agent one. But. Yeah. So welcome to the Kamloops Insider Podcast. And today, on this wonderful day, I'm going to answer a problem. Mm. That's the idea. Yeah. So I recently had an experience where a, one of uh, my clients had asked me a question, a very good question. They were selling their home and they'd received a an accepted offer, and we'd just been notified that the home inspection was booked by the buyer's agent mm-hmm. to do the inspection, perform the inspection on my client's home, okay? Right. And so I was letting them know that, hey, between this time and that time, there's going to be a home inspector show up, and here's what your expectations look like. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Okay, cool. And then they texted me in the middle of the night, and they're like, hey, is there any way we can improve our odds? And I'm like... Absolutely. There's tons of things that you should be doing in preparation for the home inspector showing up. So while I'm listing off these items, I thought, this is information that everybody needs. Absolutely. So I'm going to like break it down to, these are like simple things that you can do. Okay. This isn't like, you don't need to take a couple weeks off on holidays prior to the home inspection showing up and like start rebuilding your deck. <laughs> right. Because if your deck's falling down, yeah, that's going to be an issue, but it's probably an issue that everybody's aware of. Right. These are more feasible, These achievable. Are feasible, achievable little items, little mm-hmm. nuggets that you can do prior to your home inspection, prior to the buyer's home inspection on your home. As, so as a seller. As a seller. So how to beat the inspector mm-hmm. as a seller. <laughs> My name is Parker Bennett, and I've spent the last 20 years helping people through the process of their largest single investment they may ever make, their home. From building inspector to real estate agent, I've chalked up a number of great experiences and strategies for everything related to the home buying experience. This podcast is dedicated to anything and everything around the Kamloops real estate market, Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. I I love this. Also important to remind people that don't know, you have a home inspection background. Yeah, so this was something that's... coming right from the vault of information. Yeah, and I actually did a presentation on this before. I used to do this for uh, real estate agents back when I was a home inspector. 
But this is even better. This is more improved because now I have the perspective of real estate agent in the mix. Totally. And different objectives because trying to solve problems as well as mechanical and structural jargon. Mm-hmm. Right? Love it. Okay, so... Lay it on us, Parker. I'm going to start by defining the role of the home inspector because I don't know if everybody really understands in the transaction what their role is. Mm-hmm. When I was a home inspector, it was commonly... It, there was a lot of misconceptions about the idea that you were a code compliancy enforcement officer. Okay. And that... As an inspector with that title, you were going to go in there and you were going to start giving little red tags to items that were deficiencies that needed to be fixed. Otherwise, there were code violations and they were like, spank you in the bum kind of material. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm serious. I would hear people say stuff like, they can't do that. Um, But they did. That's done. And there's nobody going to come (laughs) solve this problem except for... You can monetarily fix it right. in negotiation. Incorporate it into the workings of your deal. Right. Yeah. So what is the role that home inspectors are being told? What is their objective? Okay. Mm-hmm. Their objective is to visually go through readily accessible areas of the home. Mm-hmm. That's a very important paragraph there. Like yeah. readily accessible. Okay. So if your home is not readily accessible in areas, it's going to get missed. Yeah. And missed is not good enough. Later, we're going to get into why the home inspector not being able to get access to areas is a big problem. Okay. But for the, for the sake of the home inspector, we're talking about his or her perspective on their role. Mm-hmm. Their role is to evaluate readily accessible areas, and they're only going to objectively look at that as what is the performance of this item, not... Is this code compliant? Is this not code compliant? It's it's more about what is the performance of it in its current state. Okay. As in like... I'll give you an example. Okay. I I'll would g- like an example. Okay. So you were holding up a beam with 17 perfectly cut hockey sticks. <laughs> okay. That's probably not correct. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody, no bylaw officer is going to approve that or like on an inspection. Sure. Okay. But... How is it performing? Is it holding up the beam? Is there a risk to you as a buyer uh, purchasing this? And, may, and maybe the hockey sticks, you know, maybe they're, maybe that's not a good example. But in the example that I like to, to educate people on is commonly decks because decks are very readily visible for their structural makeup. Okay. So when you walk around a deck, there has been many improvements over the years about how to properly support your deck. Mm-hmm. And in the old days, sometimes there was just wood on grade. You had posts down, sitting on packed dirt. Yeah. And that was okay. Yeah. And then that wasn't okay because that, those posts were going to rot really quickly and they were going to deteriorate and that was going to lean and there was going to be a safety issue there. Mm-hmm. So then the code improved and you had to put some sort of concrete material underneath that as mm-hmm. a footing. Mm-hmm which was great because that started to protect the wood. And then eventually, well, if it's not an actual foundational footing, then it's going to be subjective to movement. Right. So now we need it below the heave point of the frost line of the ground so that it doesn't move. And then that's a major improvement. Right. So when when you're buying a house from 1950, you might not see all those same requirements in today's day. Mm -hmm. And so it's better to evaluate it on how is it performing? Right. Because it, there's a really good chance 
that a 1950s deck with concrete underneath and, you know, wood that's not rotten is probably performing adequately. Sure. But it wouldn't be code compliant for today's inspectors. Right. So hopefully that does shed some light into the role. Right. Readily accessible areas, keyword, and also performance. Performance evaluators. Right. Not specialists. Not specialists, and these are not like permit inspections for... No. Right. But even so, like not electricians, not roofers, not structural builders. Right. Special trades or anything. They're not special trades. They're generalists in their field looking for obvious safety issues and issues that could cost buyers big chunks of money. Mm -hmm. They only randomly sample things as well. So if you're moving into your home and you stick your electrical plug into a wall outlet that probably wasn't really accessible during an inspection, it doesn't work, you really don't have a case against your home inspector because they maybe didn't have access to it or they checked 17 already and they didn't check the 29. Right. I don't know. (laughs) And I would always tell, when I was a home inspector, I would always go through this process with them so that they understood what the role was, like what I was trying to achieve, Mm -hmm. but also not to not to overinflate what I was actually going to do. Mm-hmm. And when people would say, hey, I, I really want you to check them all. Well, we can do that, but it's not going to take three hours. Right. It's going to be seven hours. Yeah. And we need permission to do that. And it's going to cost you more. Mm-hmm. But we can hang out here all day and inspect stuff. Yeah. Like, so. Oh, interesting. Hopefully that helps to evaluate the role. And there is a misconception of buyers and sellers that, you know, the home inspectors don't hold a lot of liability. I believe that they do, mm-hmm. but they're liable. That's another whole discussion. Okay. It's a follow-up podcast. Follow-up podcast. Episode. <laughs> okay. So there's the role of the inspector. Okay. So what is the expectation for the seller during the home inspection? Mm-hmm. Okay. They are expected to leave the home for the duration of the home inspection. That Make it sense. vacant. Yeah. Don't have something in that home that will distract the process of the home inspection. Like a big dog. Like a dog... You know, an angry cat. Sure. <laughs> Something that would distract the process, and a dog is actually a really good example. Yeah. But maybe also you have a basement suite, and you've left, but you've the tenants are home. Ah. That could be a bit of a distraction. Yeah, no kidding. It could be a good thing, because, you know, you might meet the, no, the tenants, and that might be a, a, oh. an, a process that would be invaluable. In that yeah. Okay. But not helpful to the inspection, it's which not is helpful scheduled at a specific time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're typically like, for a single family detached home account, it's about three hours. Okay. That's the time you should be allotting for. Mm-hmm. There's also, it should be understood that the buyer is going to show up for that home inspection at some point, mm-hmm. in most cases. Mm-hmm. They're usually invited to the last half an hour, 45 minutes, and they should be there with their real estate agent. Mm-hmm. And the buyer's role in that will be to get a summary of the items as efficiencies from the home inspection. Yeah. So home inspector does the inspection, buyer shows up, they go through a summary with it. So, hey, there's a, an issue over here. Let's look at this. There's an issue over there. Did you have any questions? Is there something that you wanted me to focus on? Maybe we should go take a peek at that. Okay, we're all summed up. Sounds good. You're going to get a report in a couple hours or whatever, and we're done. Nice. And the seller can come home. Okay. Okay. But we're going to talk about some, like, other expectations that should be met. Asterisk that because that's what we're going to be talking about. Let's just go quickly to the expectations of the buyer and then we'll go back to what the seller can do to beat this home inspector. Okay. 
<laughs> beat him like beat him. like your opponent. Him or Anyways, her. There yeah. is there is a gal in town that does home inspections. <laughs> yeah. So the buyer is going to show up in the finale of the home inspection okay. with a buyer's agent to go through the items of deficiencies. Mm-hmm. This is not a time to introduce mom and pa and family and friends to the home. Ah, uh, nope. You're, you're right. You're not really, you shouldn't be bringing the posse mm-hmm. so that they can get a peek at the house. Because you technically do not own it yet. You don't own it. No, it is not possession day. You do not have the keys. This is a special invitation to the home. Right. Yeah. And you should be focusing on mechanical and structural mm-hmm. deficiencies and, and keeping that as your primary objective. Yeah. When you bring a bunch of people to the home, which does happen quite often, as the home inspector, you start to get dragged in multiple directions because even if the real estate agent is there, which they should be, mm-hmm. they never used to be, but now it's kind of more common practice that they are. Yeah. You're going to get questions coming from different directions. Mm, it's probably super distracting to have it's a crowd very, there all of a sudden. It's very difficult and it's actually very confusing because mm-hmm. you'll have, you know, maybe a dad mm-hmm. in one corner of the house saying, did you, did you check the electrical over here? I just noticed this is where the electrical box is. And you may have your maybe a, a first time home buyer over here, like really trying to listen and get, be engaged with everything you're trying to explain yeah. in a process manner. Yeah. And you don't want to get flip flopped around the house because it'll just waste time. Makes sense. And that's when things get missed. <laughs> so you don't want to um, show up to the home and start inviting yourself to look around the house. Right. Stay focused. You can open and close cabinets and cupboards and doors and stuff like that, but you don't want to be poking and prodding too deeply in the home. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that if the seller was there and they were watching you do it, would they be comfortable with you doing it? Right. And in a lot of cases, they might be watching you because a lot of people have cameras. Cameras, cameras are everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the process in a nutshell. And now I want to jump into how we can really win the heart of the home inspector. And when I say beat them, I don't mean beat them like with a stick or beat them, <laughs> trick them in any way, but right. basically making things easier for them mm-hmm. so that the inspection goes smoothly and there's less question marks. Right. So not in an adversarial way because no. there really is no, it probably seems that there are sides to this, right? Like a buyer side and a seller side, but ultimately that home inspector is right in the middle it's a new, kind of a neutral, they're just relaying facts and observations. It's, right. Yeah. It's not about bribing your inspector. No, <laughs> it's not about bribing them. But there, there is a sort of a side feeling mm-hmm. from the home inspector's perspective that the seller doesn't want you looking too deep. Sure, I bet. And buyer wanting you to look deeper. Yeah. And seller thinking... Home inspector probably is going to err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. So, if there is maybe a problem, it's probably going to be a problem. Yeah. And the buyer wanting to make sure that any maybes are absolute one hundred percent figured out. Are these a problem? Right. I hope that's not confusing. But it <laughs> might be. It's a little, okay. a little, but that's okay. Carry okay. on. So, there is eight major components of a home inspection. Oh. Okay. Foundations. Roofs, electrical, HVAC, plumbing, insulation, building uh, materials, like insulation and building envelope, structural, and interior. Okay. So we're going to quickly go through those, and I'm going to just highlight 
areas where you as a seller can prepare your home for a better outcome in the home inspection. Love it. Let's start with foundations. Foundations. It's a simple one because if you have cracks, you're not hiding them. Don't don't hide the cracks. Don't uh, hide it. Yeah, no. Don't hide on. things. Yeah. So the the main thing that would come up here that would commonly get discussed would be like exterior slope away from the house. This is actually a bit of a, it could be a weekend project. If you have negative slope towards your house and you've lived in the home for 30 years and it's never been an issue, it doesn't matter. The home inspector is going to comment on things that slope towards the home as being risky. Right. Water on the surface will roll towards the house, which could be water intrusion potential for the future. Yeah. So sloping everything away is going to alleviate a comment in the home inspection report that is going to be in the foundation comment section, mm-hmm. which is a serious part of the home inspection yes. report. Yes, yeah. And from a real estate perspective, I hear sometimes there's like really s- scenarios where it's like, oh my goodness, this is like negatively sloped towards the house. This is going to bring in water for sure. It could be bringing it off a main street mm. down towards the house. There could be issues, but let's assume that for the most part, 99% of them are basically you know, the backyard kind of slopes towards the house in this one little section. Right. And it's almost an eye roll because it's, yes, there probably hasn't been issues for the 35 years this house has been built. It is not technically correct Mm -hmm. and it should be solved. Yeah. But in a buyer's mind, it's just an issue. Right. And it's just like eventually their head's going to get cluttered with issues and they're not going to remember which is the major issues which is the minor issues, which are the ones that they're probably never going to fix. Mm -hmm. They're just going to remember there was like a a commanding amount of issues. Right. Which are going to distract them from wanting to remove conditions. Mm -hmm. Which is what the seller wants. Yep. Realtors (laughs) want, and probably the home inspector wants as well. So foundations, slope everything away from the house. That is going to give you some brownie points. Next, let's go to the roof. So having a clear view of the roof is not necessarily something that can happen from the ground level. And if you're not comfortable going on roofs, I'm not telling you to get on a roof to to check out your roof prior to a home inspection. Sure. But there are many companies that do gutter cleanings and they have liability insurance Mm -hmm. to protect them from falling. Harnesses, Harnesses, safety, WCB. (laughs) This is a great opportunity to have your gutters freshly cleaned prior to home inspection. Mm -hmm. Because that would be an item in the roof section that would be ticked automatically on almost every home because the gutters are full of stuff because yeah. very few people do that kind of maintenance. Right. So that would be great. Yeah, good one. But there's a bigger part of the gutter one that is important, which is going to be uh, the direction of the out downspouts from the gutters, mm-hmm. which is going to comment a little bit on the foundation part, whereas if you have negative slope, and your gutter discharges all that roof water in this one particular area, it's going to end up being up against the foundation. Right. So extending those discharge pipes away from the home is an absolute win in the eye of a home inspection. Okay. Even if it's like a tripping hazard or It will be 100% moved later. Okay. It will be a tripping hazard. Uh, You're going to run it over with your lawnmower. Yeah. It will be gone when you move in, maybe. But for the purpose of that home inspection, it will be a win. Yeah. And those are like pretty readily, you can get a little extension sections. There's lots of options. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So other than that, we're not going to be evaluating the life expectancy of the roof, items like this. But there is one more thing I'll talk about Ooh, with the, the roof. The home inspector's not doing that? No, you, you, as, and a, me. you as a seller. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. Yeah, this gotcha. Is, what would we do as a seller? I Right. <laughs> home inspector is absolutely going to comment <laughs> okay. on the age of the roof, but Perfect. you're not tricking the age of the roof no. to a, a, a shorter... Is what it is. Yeah, lifespan. But you could, in one scenario... If you knew your roof was fatigued out mm-hmm. and end of life and you thought, well, maybe I can get another five years out of it, that would be great to have a roofing inspector come and evaluate that roof and give it a more professional evaluation on two things, life expectancy and what is the cost for replacement. Ah, uh, yeah. Because the home inspector is not going to, he's not going to try and, I keep saying he and I hope that doesn't bother anybody. <laughs> he they, or she, they yeah. will not they're not going to want to put a date of life expectancy to a roof when they're not actually a roofing contractor. Right. They're just going to say it's old. Here are the it signs. It is clearly at the end of life. Yeah. You're going to need to replace your roof. Yeah. Home inspectors will not give price tags with items. Right. They're not allowed. Mm. In, oh. in BC, they're not allowed. Okay. However, the first question out of the buyer's mouth is, what? well, how much is that going to cost? What's that going to cost me? Yeah. Yeah. And the home inspector will probably say something verbally, not on paper, and that you're putting a lot of value in somebody who may not actually replace roofs for a living, who may not know what the true value of that is. Right. So as a seller, if you've already gone to have the roof specifically inspected by a roof inspector with a quote. Some, some documentation. Some good information to provide yeah. right then and there. Like life expectancy is at the end, should live for five more years three, five years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And cost of replacement on today's prices would be, you know, $9,000 because a $9,000 roof typically gets called a $25,000 roof. In my experience is mm-hmm. when you have emotional people discussing price tags on things mm-hmm. without facts. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Facts is the answer in this case. Okay. That's another good proactive um, okay. step a seller could take. So let's go to the third component, major component, electrical. Ooh, zap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, electrical. So electrical is not something the average homeowner is going to repair themselves. Nor should they. Nor should they. Shouldn't be playing with electrical. (laughs) But there are some little wiener items (laughs) that should be looked at, and they're very homeowner friendly to fix. Okay. Okay? So the first major problem that I've run into with electrical is not having true access to the panel. Oh, what? That's a really good point. Yeah. So let me give you an example. Sure. A big screen TV. Mm, Just hanging there right in front of the panel. Right in front of the panel. And the problem is, when I was a home inspector, I knew that I couldn't leave it uninspected. I couldn't say, okay, I couldn't get access to it, so we couldn't inspect it. Because the next question out of the realtor's mouth is, when can you come back and I'll get them to move it? Yeah. And then reinspect it later, which was a real time problem for me to try yeah. and squish those little inspections in. No kidding. So I would typically just move the darn TV, which was putting the TV, their, the seller's ability to mount a TV yeah. at risk. <laughs> yeah. And in my day, there wasn't as many wall mounted TV. Yeah. No, no nice, smooth hinges moving no. things away easily. Like yeah. Tube TVs. And oh my God. Sitting on major componentry, like lots of stuff in the yeah. way. So that's an obvious, easy 
please do this. Please make sure your electrical panel please is do this. Yes. readily accessible. Especially when the ones are, a lot of newer homes will put the major panel in the garage. Mm-hmm. And the garage is a great place to put storage bins and yeah. containers and canoes and kayaks. Tubs and, of Christmas ornaments. Yeah. Yeah. So move all that stuff out of the way and make access friendly for a home switch. Mm-hmm. You could open the panel up and make it really... I can promise you when I would walk into a room and I would see all this stuff moved out of the way to electrical panel, I would favor the seller. <laughs> I'd be thinking, they're such a kind person. Yeah. I really appreciate their ability to help me today. Yeah. That's the motive you want. <laughs> okay. Okay. Open junction boxes, light switches, switch covers. Let's talk about those really quickly. These are things you don't need a permit to fix. You're not actually touching the electrical. Mm-hmm. But it's very common for... Uh, rewires and add-ons in the basement, etc., to have open junction boxes. These are junction boxes where a wire has been run into mm. and a new wire has gone in there and made a junction to go power a circuit. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, these can be done by electricians and they leave the box open oh. because it seems almost superficial at some point to put the cover on. Okay. So switch covers... So when you're turning your light switch on and off, lots of times those get break, they mm-hmm. get broken. And sometimes when you're painting uh, and you take those covers off, if you screw them on too tight, they crack. Yeah. Just, they're like 20 cents. Yeah, they're really, really Super very. expensive. <laughs> yeah. Fix them because it's an issue that they just turn, like a buyer may just hear electrical. These are the electrical issues. Yeah. And it, it it's, sounds very dramatic. But really it's just a facade, you know, it's surface level. Surface two, level two issues. Two screws and a screwdriver, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two more things I want to talk about with electrical. One is GFCI, ground fault circuit interrupters. Interrupters. These are the Go plugs, on. switches that you see in your bathrooms with the little switch. Oh, test, yeah. Reset, the reset test. thing. Yeah. yeah. And commonly outside exterior plugs are GFCI. Mm-hmm. And only recently in the last eight to 10 years, you get them in your kitchen. Okay, mm-hmm. so anything near a sink or a laundry sink or a tub or something like that is going to have a GFCI. And the design of this is basically to trip the circuit prior to major electrical failure. Okay, getting zapped. Yes, zap. <laughs> but um, they commonly fail, and they're very easy to test. Oh. You're literally going to hit the test button, and it's going to go, and there's not going to be any power there. So you plug something into it, there's no power, and then you hit the reset button and power comes back to life. Mm-hmm. It is very common when you hit the reset button, if you haven't done it regularly through the life of your home, mm-hmm. they won't reset. Oh. And they're now failed. Oh, shoot. And if you are a seller and a home inspector comes through your house and now you have no power, guess how pissed you are. Right. Yeah. And now you're going to make claims that that worked completely fine prior to you coming. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird glitchy time. Mm-hmm. So I would say go around, test them all, make sure that they work, and then you can qualify them as being good and then no issues. Right. Well, what if they don't work and your inspection's coming up? Just It's kind of is what it is. Well, then you just get them repaired. Yeah. But it's like a $50 oh, item yeah. to I replace. Mm-hmm. I would say that you should test them, get them fixed prior to the home inspection, I mean, if you're testing them a minutes before, <laughs> you're not gonna. the same outcome is going to happen. <laughs> right. You're going to break it. They're going to break it. It's going to be broken. It's the same terminology in the inspection report. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, yeah, kind of sums up electrical. Oh, light bulbs. 
Ooh. This doesn't happen anymore because our light bulbs are so good. Yeah. Like LED bulbs are awesome. But back in the day when we had conventional... Incandescent. Incandescent lights plus the CFL bulbs that yeah. were terrible. Yeah. They, you know, your uh, bedroom's got no light bulb and off you go and you just deal with it for a couple of weeks or yeah. whatever. Major tenant, if you have tenants, this was always an issue with tenanted properties was that you had no light. Yeah. Because well, they're that's, just not replacing light bulbs. Yeah, they're just not doing it. They <laughs> yeah, okay. Move on from life, right? Yeah. Just deal with it in the dark. You just learn to adapt to the darkness. <laughs> well, if you have a lamp or something, I don't yeah. know why people, but it was very common to run into this. Totally. And w- what am I going to put on the inspection report? I can't put that it just needs a bulb because I'd have to have a bulb and a ladder to change it, to fix it, to make sure it worked. Yeah. Ironically, I did bring bulbs. That is wise. It was in there. I had stacks of bulbs in my shirt because I just wanted to solve the problem. I didn't want to leave a question mark that said electrical circuit failed. Would you take your bulb with you or just leave a new one in there? No, I just leave a new one in there. That's generous. Yeah. That's nice. Lots of times we just, even the switch plate covers. Yeah. Just pop it on there. Let's say. Wow. It's a value added service there. Let's say you had a home inspection Mm -hmm. and I was finished. I was waiting for the buyers to show up and I had. Three switch plate covers that'd be they're cracked. It's easier to fix them than to, than, write, than it to write it down. In the and then I wouldn't have to tell them about it. <laughs> it's so fixed. Funny. <laughs> so nice. I have stacks and stacks in my truck of these every kind of switch plate cover, mm-hmm. and I just be swapping them out as we go. Yeah, lots of times I just put them in my pocket. That's hilarious. Anyways. But a very easy fix to walk around your house. I'd be like, oh, right, I haven't replaced that bulb because it burned out five months ago. Yeah. Now's the perfect time. Now's the perfect Just time. Just toss a bulb in there. It yeah. doesn't have to be the right wattage or anything, really. Like, well, it it'd should. be nice if it was. It should be. Today's day and age, every the wattages are so low. But yeah. back in the day, there were, it was That's a good point. Yeah. But I mean, like, if you're like, oh, no, it's soft white and not bright white. Like, yeah, who, who cares? cares about that? Just it's get a, bulb it's a functional there. bulb. Because... Mm-hmm. Imagine what the you as a buyer with no experience electrically and the home inspector says, this light circuit doesn't work. Yeah. What is your next question? How much is going to cost me to fix it? Probably. And the question, the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. Because it could be the switch. It could be a wire. Mm-hmm. It could be a mouse that chewed a wire in the attic. Yeah. Or it could be that bulb, which is probably more likely. Mm-hmm. Just avoid that issue altogether. Just avoid the question mark. Yes. S- make it simple. That's an easy one. And like places look better with all lit up anyways. Like I agree. Yeah. Good one. Check that one off the list. Ding. Okay. HVAC. Let's move on. This is what I'm talking about. Heating, air conditioning. Yeah. Let's start with the furnace. Hang on. What does the V stand for? Uh, ventilation. Ah, thank you. Heating, ventilation, air conditioning. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. So any air movement through the home. Mm-hmm. So in HVAC, um, I would say nine times out of a 10... When you were a home inspector and you opened the weird closed off closet <laughs> for where the furnace lived, mm-hmm. it would also be where the mop and the broom and the vacuum yeah. and the spare flooring yeah, weird. and the golf clubs and, ends. and the extra chairs <laughs> yeah. would live. Yeah. Okay. Stuff you didn't want to be seen. Yeah. Which means it very difficult to evaluate the mechanical area of that component. Yeah. That so access there is a big one again. Yeah. Then I would go into more detail and I would say. Imagine your impression of somebody's service consciousness of their mechanical features. Mm-hmm. Say that 10 times. <laughs> if you were looking at a dirty furnace, physically dirty furnace, relative to a clean one. Ah, yeah. There's an impression You would think there. the maintenance level is different. Yeah. 
And by cleaning, I literally mean like... One quick swipe. A wipe, yeah. pull the cover off, vacuum out the dust bunnies in there. Yeah. Because they do absorb dust. Mm-hmm. And I think that would go a long way in somebody's uh, like stereotype of your ability to service your stuff. Yeah. Because it is through those little signals that you build an overall impression of, yeah, the care someone puts into anything. Yeah. And in this case, a home. But like, yeah, good one. That's very easily to take two minutes. Totally. Even as a realtor, when I go through a home and I see this like amazing home and, you know, like granite countertops and everything's clean, it smells beautiful. And I open up the furnace compartment and I just see like, no one's ever, no one's ever no one's gone ever in here. I, I question, those are yeah. big ticket items. Yeah. And if you're not maintaining them, that this could be a problem there. Yeah. The other part of that would be the furnace filter because mm-hmm. the filter is going to get pulled out. And if it's plugged solid, a home inspector has a duty to educate the buyer in what a plugged filter could do to your furnace. Ah. And it's not good news. No, it doesn't sound like it would be a pleasant story. So let's, uh, let's imagine this. Let's make this more easily digestible. <laughs> Paint me a picture, Parker. If you're driving down the road on a summer hot day, your engine makes heat. Mm-hmm. And what cools it? Like your radiator. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay? Yeah. With your radiator, what if, what would, if it was plugged solid with mud? Right. Won't do you it. would overheat. Yeah. So your furnace is a fire, mm-hmm. and if your f- filter is dirty, it's not allowing the air to cool the fire. Yeah. Because essentially that's how it pushes the air through your house. Danger zone. Overheated furnaces mean cracked heat exchangers, means life and safety issues, means furnace replacement. And big that's a big problem. ticket item. Yeah. Yeah. Clean your filters. Like, Just replace them. it. Yeah. Okay. They're not cheap anymore, though. Oh, really? You used to always be like, ah, they're super cheap. Just buy the cheapest ones. The cheapest ones are like 15, 20 bucks. Yeah. But, but I mean, how often? Three times a year. Three times a year we're supposed to be replacing a furnace I mean, filter? This is what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Change that bad boy. How often do you do it? Uh, We actually don't have a furnace. Okay. (laughs) Because we we have electric and uh, uh, gas fireplace. Okay, so so you don't really have that issue. So luckily, because of my brain, I'm like, I don't even know where my furnace is. I don't have one. That's the answer. Okay. (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) Shoot. Yeah, just replace your furnace filter. You should do it like when it's dirty. If you hold it up, it's dirty. Just change it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter how many months. But if you have cats and dogs, you're probably going to have to replace it a little bit more frequently. Okay, so we covered the furnace um, cleanliness. You could also service the furnace, okay? Just, yeah. You could have it professionally serviced by somebody with documentation. It is functional. There's no issues. Mm -hmm. And it's... That's more of an impression to a buyer yeah. and to the home inspector because mm-hmm. they're like, hey, look, they've serviced it. It doesn't need to be serviced. It's good. Beauty. Tick. Nice. Tick. Yeah. Nothing to write in that column. Nothing to write in that column. Um, but I, okay, here's a real good juicy tidbit. <laughs> I've said this on the podcast before because it's so juicy. I'm just going to keep <laughs> repeating it. Say it again. If you're a seller and you know you have an old furnace Mm -hmm. and you know that that's going to be problematic for potential buyer Mm -hmm. but you might have the gutsy feeling that it's functional and they don't build them like they used to (laughs) and it's going to run forever yeah have it professionally checked out for cracks Ah. in the heat exchanger oh okay because that's the comment the home inspector is going to make that's the unknown that they can't check for Oh, because it's not readily available. It's readily not accessible. accessible. It's, okay. It's something that's a little deeper into the furnace to evaluate. Yeah. So 
What I mean by that is that inside the furnace, there is a closed fire that, 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 that inside of a heat exchanger mm-hmm. it's closed off to the atmospheric air of your house. Mm-hmm. If when that gets old and the furnace is turned on and off a million times, it's going to fatigue that metal and it's going to crack. Okay. And when it cracks, exhaust from the fire is going to leak into your home, causing health and safety potential. Ah. Uh. Right? Yeah. Which is why you should have CO2 detectors in your home. Yes. Because you can go down for the big sleep, and that's a major comment on uh, the home inspection is if there's a life and safety issue. Yeah. So old furnace, it might say, hey, it looks like it's been taken care of. You know, it looks clean, new filter. It works. But here's the big one. Yeah. I can't check the heat exchanger for cracks, and that's the big issue with old furnaces, and that can make you, like, that can kill you. Yeah. So all the, all the buyer hears is, I got to need, I need a furnace. Yeah. But guess what the next question is? How much, it How much is that going to cost? <laughs> and I've heard everything from $3,500 to $15,000. And I, I know that there's a real big wide gap there, but sure. get a professional to give mm-hmm. you a quote if you don't plan on replacing it. Mm-hmm. At least then we're talking marbles to marbles. Yeah. Can I ask you a quick question? I don't want to uh, sway us too far, but how old would you consider, like what's an old furnace? That's a great question. Thank you so much. That's a great question. So <laughs> here's what I'll say to that. Uh, manufacturers typically say 15 years. Okay. Because they typically don't guarantee them much longer. Right. They might guarantee a furnace for uh, 10 years or five years. They might prorate the guarantee as well. Mm-hmm. But it's not in their best interest to have you running your furnace for as long as you can. Right. So 15 years, manufacturers usually say, time to get a new furnace. Okay. That would be absolutely ridiculous to change your furnace every 15 years. <laughs> that would be like saying to a car manufacturer, at every 10-year interval, your car is disposed in uh, the garbage and you buy a new one. Got it. Well, that's not realistic. Yeah. So what I would say is that from zero to 20 is probably a really healthy life for a furnace. And mm-hmm. between 20 and 25 years, you should be budgeting for a new furnace. Yeah. If and nothing else, have it inspected. having it inspected <laughs> carefully through that period, because if it has a crack in the heat exchanger. By an HVAC inspector. By someone yes. who knows what they're doing to check that out. Good advice. Yeah. We're just, this is, podcast episode is full of so much advice. A lot of mechanics. Tasty. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's move on to plumbing. Love it. This is going to be a quick one. Actually, the rest of them are quite quick. Okay. We, we, we got the juicy stuff out. <laughs> Four hot water tanks. I mean, you may or may not be replacing a hot water tank. Making them accessible for inspection is a really, really important mm-hmm. um, item. But the other factor on that will be in almost 75% of deals that I see written up now, lots of realtors will just indicate if the hot water tank is older than 10 years, seller will have it replaced. Oh, okay. And we're talking $1,500 to $2,000 replacement item. Mm-hmm. It's becoming a problem with insurance. Oh. So it's very difficult to get insurance when you're buying a property. That One of the questions they ask is, how old is the hot water tank? And if it's older than 10 years, you got to replace it. Oh, okay. So you could be proactive by changing your hot water tank. If you were a seller and I was your real estate agent and you were saying, hey, Parker, do you, do you think we should change the hot water tank prior to selling? I would say that's $2,000 you are never going to get back. Like we're not raising the price $2,000 because you changed your hot water tank. Mm-hmm. But the worst case scenario is we might have to negotiate a hot water tank into the deal if it becomes like the 
the point of contention. Point of massive contention. Mm-hmm. And in that case, the worst case scenario is you're going to pay two thousand bucks. But yeah. the, but maybe we only pay one thousand. Maybe mm-hmm. we split the difference, or maybe we tell them to go pound sand. Like there's a negotiation that can happen there. Yeah, good point. So I don't always recommend that you replace it because you're selling it, but it, it, be prepared you know, to be prepared dealing to with, be dealing with it. Yeah, yeah, and maybe get a quote. Yeah, so that you know for sure that it's only going to be. $1,275 and not 2500 bucks. Exactly. Right? Let's not uh, let the guessing games begin. Yeah. And when I talk about this guessing game thing, I don't know if this particular agent listens to the podcast, but <laughs> I recently had this come up in a negotiation in the final hour. A home inspector indicated a, a major tree issue that was pushing a retaining wall over. Mm-hmm. And the numbers were coming in as high as ten and 15000 bucks. Yeah. And it was it ended up getting... Resolved for twenty five hundred. Oh wow! So, okay. like, get a price. Yeah, make can... it make it a priority to actually get the right person, yeah. not just random strangers throwing out numbers because they can skyrocket pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. Whenever I always find it funny whenever you hear somebody say it can be anywhere between five and twenty five thousand dollars for a repair of a certain item, it means absolutely nothing. Right. I hear it all the time on Instagram when they're like. AI, you could make up to $25,000 a month. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what does that really mean? <laughs> yeah. Does AI only allow you to make money up to 25000 What? I don't even know what you're talking about. In terms oh, of- I, get, I get these ads all the time. It says oh. like, hey, in real estate, you, AI can build you a business that oh, will pay I you up to $2,500 a month. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or I, I commonly hear it in repairs too. Maybe I'm getting off topic, but I just, <laughs> when I hear a massive variance of, of number, it, like, to me, it just it means tells me nothing. Is zero information. Yeah. I have, I can't. No value. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can buy a house in Kamloops from, from anywhere zero from... to $2 million. <laughs> yeah. That's how or pricey more. it is. Or more. <laughs> Positive sign. Okay. Insulation. Simple. Ooh. Because we're not going to mess around with this as a seller. Mm-hmm. But there's two juicy nuggets here. One, make the attic access accessible. Yeah. Please. Locate your attic access. There's two areas <laughs> that are typically not readily accessible in a home inspection. One is the master bedroom closet. It's usually got your stuff in it. Are you saying as an attic access point? That's where the oh. main point of access points are in modern houses. Isn't that interesting? Okay. The other one would be the garage yes. or garage. Ooh. So the garage sometimes has a vehicle in it. Of course. And that's a problem because no one's going to get into the attic and there's, there's like 75 things that you need to evaluate as an inspector from the attic perspective. Mm-hmm. So, so find your attic access point, clear it, the way. Clear the way. Let's talk about the closet a bit. Mm-hmm. Don't just open the door and push everything over. Move your clothes. Yeah, because some shit out. insulation is going to fall on your clothes and oh, it's not yeah. going to get vacuumed up very well. Good point. Yeah. So that would be a good one. But, uh, okay, so you ready for the nugget? This is super nugget number two on this one. About insulation. Insulation. Mm-hmm. If at some point when you purchased the home, you found that there was vermiculite insulation in your attic, mm-hmm. this is a very litigious component. Okay. It may or may not contain asbestos. Ah, uh, the dirtiest word around. The dirtiest word in real estate mm-hmm. transactions. Mm-hmm. So that can mean no financing. That can... The number there can be zero to $100 million. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's no real number that sits well with anybody. Mm-hmm. 
but I can tell you that it's it it is more expensive than you'd like it to be. Okay. So in my experiences, ten and fifteen thousand dollars is probably the norm, and twenty thousand dollars just wouldn't surprise me. To do what? To abate mm-hmm. an attic that contains asbestos. Okay. Meaning abate, meaning like get it Solve out of there. It. Yeah. Get it out of there legally. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go into too many details about there is ways to getting it out of there legally that doesn't cost so much money, but it does require a seller to do the physical work themselves. And I feel like anytime you're handling something like asbestos, like just get a professional. <laughs> okay, that's how I want to, that's, that's where the nugget lies. Oh, tell, sorry, go ahead. A home inspector does not have the ability to evaluate that for asbestos content. Mm. And it will be aired on the side of caution that it's probably got asbestos in it. The vermiculite. The vermiculite. May have asbestos in it. Okay. So I hope I've described this well, because this is really important. Mm -hmm. When you purchase the home, you might have purchased it. I mean, unless you built the house, you might have purchased it. You might have had a home inspection and someone might have said, hey, this has got vermiculite up here and it may or may not contain asbestos and it may or may not be an issue. You should get it tested, whatever. And you might have said, well, whatever, it's up there. I'm down here. It's not really going to be a problem. And it isn't Mm -hmm. until your home inspection when you go to sell your house. Right. And it becomes a big factor (laughs) again for another buyer. And so you might want to actually physically inspect that vermiculite and have it tested Mm -hmm. prior to the transaction. And I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Vermiculite doesn't have very much freaking asbestos in it. Ah. It's very, 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 like extremely low range. Yeah. And it's actually probably one of the more safer items that does contain asbestos because the amount of asbestos in it is so darn minimal. Can I ask a very basic question as well? Yeah. What is vermiculite? Like it's not the... Um, vermiculite is actually a rock. Okay. Someone's going to fact check me. That's fine. A general ballpark answer is all I'm looking for. Yeah, anyways. it's like, it's a natural occurring material. Okay. And it was used in the 60s and 70s as an insulation, mm-hmm. not primary insulation, but as a remedial insulation. It, beco- it comes in like sacks okay. of like... Like a sandbag or a... Like a sandbag, but they're they're like little popcorn-sized things. Okay. And they kind of pack in there quite well. They actually don't actually have a great insulation value. Mm. <laughs> but I, vermiculite is still used today. It, yeah. You go to, you go to um, like a landscaping store mm-hmm. uh, or a plant store, uh, you'll find vermiculite, bags of vermiculite, you can buy it. Mm-hmm. doesn't contain asbestos in it, and it's used in potting soil to like help oh, gotcha. drainage and stuff like that. There's some uses for it. it. It's pretty much a useless component. <laughs> but, but it ended up in people's attics somehow. But it ended up in attics <laughs> as an insulation. Like in the 70s, there was the gas prices started to climb. Mm-hmm. And there was like, it was like, oh my goodness, we should actually insulate our houses better. So there would be smart. like BC, like today where we'd have like a BC power smart mm-hmm. objective. Yeah. Back in the day, there would be this like insulate your attic objective. Oh, I see. And you get like three free, four free bags of insulation to like, here, you should put this in your attic. This is, this is insulation and it's good stuff for your attic. And you'd be like, oh, I don't know. Okay. So you'd open up the attic access door and you'd stick it and it would be in a six square foot radius <laughs> around your door because you didn't actually want to go in your attic. Right. And 75, 80% of the time when you found vermiculite in an attic, it would only be around the hatch. Right. Because they just like, but they just, in, still in the bag though, right? Nope. Or you take it out of the bag. They'd always throw the bag out there. That's how you knew it was part of the, like a, like a government incentive <laughs> yeah. for insulation because the bag would be in there. 
weird, fascinating. It's like forensics in a way. Right. Looking back through the history of a home like that. Well, go through, you know, 5,000 houses. You'll figure, you start to see a pattern. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Okay. But, but you may want to inspect it mm-hmm. and then do the due diligence on the amount of asbestos. There's a backside to this. There's a downside to this is if you inspect it and it turns out it does have asbestos in it at a higher content, which I've never seen, by the way. Mm-hmm. You, you may now be obligated to disclose that. Right. That's a problem. So you got to weigh that out. Mm-hmm. But if you think it's going to be an issue and you want to combat it with informative, factual information, yeah. you could test it and then you could start digging up information that would prove your side of the story, which in 99.9% of the cases I have, and I'm not really, 99, it's 100 for me. <laughs> it was very low, yeah. unmeasurably low rates of asbestos. Which, when that level comes out, it's like, okay, it, it's just something to note and move on. Right. It does not require remediation at that point? or It's hard to say because okay. if you're getting it tested, this is how they test it. Hey, it's vermiculite. I know that there is some asbestos somewhere, but turns out there was none in this pile. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So that could be the statement that you're left with, with... It has, ins- it has asbestos somewhere, but they couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. But I know that if you tested more, you'd probably... I did Because I, I played a trick once. <laughs> once I evaluated enough of these vermiculite attic scenarios, yeah. I then started to research that, that the asbestos was heavy. Oh. And so it would actually settle to the bottom of your attic. Oh. Because it was more of a dust. Okay. And the vermiculite would be at the top. It's lighter. And you could actually pull a sample from the very top and then you'd cap it and then you'd take it into the lab and they'd say, doesn't have any asbestos in it, but it's vermiculite and we know some's there. You probably just didn't get it. Yeah. So what's the point of doing the inspection? Interesting. Right? Anyways. So we you, got were, you were skewing the results by I was skimming it the off the top? <laughs> because I was trying to <laughs> prove rascal. a point. Okay. It didn't matter if you tested it or not. Yeah. It was blanketed that if it was vermiculite, there was asbestos somewhere. Yeah. Just maybe not in the sample. And, you know, whatever the resolution needs to be for, if you have it in your attic, it's just better to know before you're in the midst of this deal that might come down to right. this issue. Like, it's it's just information is power, right? Totally. Okay. We're, we're done with the insulation. Okay. Moving okay. on. That was nugget number two, though. That was a big one. Structural. Okay. Building envelope. There's not a whole lot that we're going to deal with structurally. Like, yeah, if your deck is falling down, please fix it. If you have a structural problem in your home and you're aware of it, this is probably something you've already put into your pricing. Mm. You know, it's probably not a surprise. And right. if it is a surprise, whatever. You've lived in your house for 10 years, you didn't notice it. You're, you're, if you're surprised by it later, then that's a problem you're going to deal with later. <laughs> yeah. So there's probably not a whole lot structurally that we're going to discuss. But last and definitely not least is just interior. An interior is literally going to connect all the itty-bitty tiny things mm-hmm. that are really not that important in a home inspection from the home inspector's perspective. Because they're kind of superficial? Yeah, or? this would be like, you know, there's drywall damage over oh, here. There's a it. door that doesn't close over here. Mm-hmm. There's damaged flooring over here. This is stuff that's super visual. From yeah. a buyer, it's a major item. Mm-hmm. But they're probably aware of most of it. Yeah. From a home inspector, they could care less they just want to show that there's five or six of whatever's and they're not going to tell you about every room, every square inch of the drywall if there's, you know, perfect imperfections or whatever. Yeah. But from a seller's perspective, 
you're just going to show your house at its best presentation point at the date of the inspection, just like it was probably when you were, you know, Getting presenting it for, or yeah, for all the areas of the process of selling your house. Mm-hmm. So whether it's fix up some, you know, little bitties here and there. Patch everywhere. some drywall. Yeah. Little, yeah, little stuff. So here's another one of those things that I would just fix on the go so I didn't have to write it. Yeah. Door striker plates. Oh, Yeah. So you would close the door, but the striker plate wouldn't engage properly and the door would just bounce open like you wouldn't be able to yeah, actually engage it. latch it. So really simple fix. You just had a little, I had this little grinder and you just grind, you just grind out the door thing a little bit. Yeah. And the door would close. <laughs> you just and out I, there fixing problems. <laughs> well, because it was easier than explaining to somebody how to fix it. Yeah. I would just be like, this is how I fixed it. Yeah. It's and done. sliding glass door latches. Ah. You slide the glass door and in the lock and mm-hmm. the lock wouldn't engage and it's literally an adjustment. Yeah. So lots of times I would just, I would always have stuff on me and I would just fix them. Just twiddle around with it. Because it was like more of a pain to try yeah. and explain. And they're like, can you, can you call my husband and tell him what you just told me? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm just going to fix it and just we'll just be done. On. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like, you know, some items like that that uh, are a part of it, but if you're a homeowner and you know that there's like, you know, five, six, seven, 12 of these little items, maybe grab a screwdriver and grab your phone mm-hmm. so you got like YouTube how-tos yeah. in your pocket. Take a pass at some of them. And just go around and- Do and what you can. Tidy them up. The yeah. ones that you can't, whatever. Yeah. No I think that's all really good advice um, because in the end, it, it does all come down to money and what- Totally. And having this deal go through, you know, you might have- elements in your life that are really hinging on this sale and doing what you can to make it happen is absolutely well with these are things well within a, someone's grasp yeah. um, to do. So good totally. advice. Yeah. And if you are thinking about selling your house and you have a little bit of time before you do it, this would be an even better time to prepare some of that stuff. I mean, obviously you're not going to make things readily accessible prior to having a listing sign up, but sure. You know, the deficiencies that are there mm-hmm. and maybe the care in some of the items that you can do, because some of them might take you a little while to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be it would be really good yeah. to be proactive. Mm-hmm. Every buyer is different. Every buyer's level of comfort in mechanical items is different. Mm-hmm. Some people have zero threshold. They're expecting if the house shows well, mechanically it has to be perfect. Right. And so if there's a... The little things could be really scary. A window that doesn't lock or a door that doesn't latch and a, you know, these three, four different little items that really are meaningless in the scheme of things Mm -hmm. could be enough to stress them right out. Mm -hmm. And then they're in a position where they're stressing as well. Like what's the deal? How much is it going to cost me to get professionals in here? This is not something in my wheelhouse to be able to tackle. So what do I do? And you know, it's the real estate agents to sort of solve those problems as well, but from a seller, if you just don't want that to be a problem, <laughs> avoid it. Avoid it. <laughs> Take care of it now. Good advice. Proactivity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so the results are back from the best in Kamloops competition, voting competition. Not even really sure what to call it, but from BC now. Just the best in Kamloops. Best in Kamloops 2023. Period. And excitingly, Did we win? Hmm? We We won second place. Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast has been awarded the silver badge, meaning that you got the second most 
votes in the best podcast in Kamloops category. And I do so. appreciate everybody who took the time and effort mm-hmm. to not only listen to this podcast through and hear this part of the podcast, but also <laughs> to, um, no, 100%. I appreciate anybody who took the time to vote us. Um, nothing really makes me happier than to know that we have some people rooting for us. Totally. Yeah. Congratulations. It's a, I don't know, it feels important. Like we got on the, got on the podium this year. Nice. So that's big. So congrats. And cool. Thanks to everyone. Hey, thanks for listening to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes delivered right to your feed. And we want to hear from you. Send comments and questions to parker at royallepage.ca or reach out on Instagram at pbrealestater. <laughs>